Uh, my name is Zach. For those of you that don't know me, I am very excited that you are here. I want to encourage you to start out. You know, in life, the older that I get, the more I realize there are decisions that we know are big in life. You know, where are we going to live? Where are we going to work? Uh, who you might marry? What are we going to do with our kids? Those type of decisions. We know those are big decisions. And yet sometimes there are decisions that we have that don't seem big in the moment or don't seem big at the time, but actually turn out to be really significant in the long run. You know what I'm talking about? And you making the decision to start your week in church with God and with God's people is one of those decisions that seems little in the moment, but it's actually significant for the trajectory of your life. It's a significant choice, even though it seems significant, because over time, you starting your week focused on Jesus, hearing from him, going into your week with that as your priority, is going to significantly alter the trajectory of your life. That's amazing. So I want to encourage you that you're here and you're making a significant step to be here. And I'm excited to see what God does as we come together. If you're new with us, each service... Each time we gather, we worship Jesus, and we take time to look in the scriptures. And we believe the scriptures are really important. Some of the images that the Bible gives us to describe the scriptures, they're like bread that we feed from. They're like a hammer that breaks rocks. So if you need breakthrough this morning, there's breakthrough as we look at God's word. That's like a fire that burns within our bones. So if you need passion this morning, we're going to find passion as we look at God's word. But it's a lamp if you're here today and you're like, I need direction. I don't know which way to go. It's a lamp to our feet that can help us see like a light unto our path. So it gives us insight. It gives us revelation to get to know God better. That's amazing. It's a mirror that lets us see ourselves accurately. We have a couple of different mirrors in our house. And there's certain ones that I know if I want to look good, I go stand in front of that mirror because it's kind of angled where it makes you look good in the right proportions. And then there's other ones I know if I want to be discouraged, go look in that mirror because it's angled a little differently, right? And we know that mirrors can, can present maybe not a true picture, but sometimes a, a distorted picture of reality. The Word of God, though, is one of those mirrors that allows us to see clearly who God is, who we are. And what he's doing in our world around us. And so we take time every week to look in God's word. I encourage you, bring your Bible to church. I encourage you to bring the old school paper copy. Open up the book, mark it up. If, if you want to use your app or your phone, that's great too. But we're going to look at God's word. And because of how important it is, we learned this year that it's a seed that has power, potential, and provision. Because of how important it is, I also encourage you to take notes as we go through here, because I believe that God wants to speak to you. I believe that your heavenly father wants to encourage you, wants to enlighten you, wants to invest in you. If you never had a dad that taught you anything, where you feel like, I was just on my own, kind of just figuring out life on your own, your heavenly father is here, and he wants to teach you, and he wants to develop you, and he wants to pour into you. So I want to encourage you to take notes as we go. We've been learning over the last few weeks just some Man, some of my favorite stuff in uh, the Bible. We've been learning about making disciples. And if you haven't been with us, here's a few things that we've learned. We've learned that every person is wired for a mission that gives meaning to our lives. When we come to Jesus, one of the missions that he gives us, one of the 
callings that he gives us that gives meaning and depth to our lives is to go and make disciples, to build his kingdom by making disciples. When we enter into that mission, we begin to live beyond ourselves. We begin to live beyond just what's important to me and, and my needs and what am I about and what makes me happy. We begin to have a bigger, more expansive life, the type of life that we're designed for. We've learned that making disciples simply means that we intentionally point others to find and follow Jesus. We intentionally help others to find and follow Jesus. That was really important because when we talk about discipleship, if you're from a, a church background, if you're from a Christian background, right, all these images go in our mind. And what we think is that we need to be Yoda with Luke Skywalker. We need to be Gandalf with Frodo. We need to be Mr. Miyagi with Danielson. We need to kind of have that master to protege Splinter to the Ninja Turtles. We could go on and on. That's what we think. But what we've learned is that if making disciples is intentionally helping someone else to find and follow Jesus, that means that if I've been in the faith, if I've been in Christ for 20 years, there's probably someone in my world that's been in Christ for 10 years. If I've been in Christ for 10 years, there's probably someone in my world that's been in Christ for five years. If I've been in Christ for five years, there's probably someone in my world that's been in Christ for five months. If I've been in Christ for five months, there's probably someone in the world that's been in Christ for five minutes. So we all have a part to play, and every single one of us knows someone that's not in Christ, that doesn't know Jesus, and that God wants to work not just in you, but he wants to work through you to help others find and follow Jesus. Wow, that's awesome. We learned that to get started, the starting point, what, where do we go, is prayer. We begin with prayer because prayer is God's appointed means to pour out his power to build his kingdom. And so as we begin to say, well, okay, I'm going to try and enter into this mission, this calling that I have on my life, I want to be a part of making disciples. It begins with prayer. And as we go from prayer, we learn from Jesus that the type of people we're looking for to invest in to help find and follow Jesus are people who receive us. There's a connection with us. They receive the message of Jesus. There's a connection with the Lord as we talk about him. And they're willing to refer that message to others. They're going to pass it on. Those are the three R's. If you were with us in January, we studied a famous teaching of Jesus, this parable about four different types of soil in which he was teaching about the power of his word and the different types of people that receive it. And he encouraged his disciples to be fourth soil people, people that are very receptive to God's word and persevere in it. And as he's sending his disciples out, he's essentially telling them what we've been learning is to look for fourth soil people, people that receive you, receive the message, and will refer it to others. That's so exciting. The next question and what we're going to tackle today to kind of put the pieces, because we've looked at what is this? We've looked at who are we looking for? We've looked at where do we get started? The question today is, well, how do I disciple someone? How do I actually do this? Let's say you found someone, or there's someone that's been coming to mind that you're thinking of. You're like, okay, how do I do this? If you remember a few weeks ago, I told you about my first few times, attempts at trying to disciple someone, trying to help someone find and follow Jesus, and how uh, messy it was how inept I felt, and I realized looking back on it, I wasn't, I wasn't uncertain about the content of what we were supposed to do. 
I knew we were like, well, read the Bible, point him at Jesus. I got that. I just didn't know what to do. How do, how do I actually do this with another person? And so I want to make sure, because I believe in your calling, I want to make sure you're equipped, not just in what is this, not just in who do I disciple, not just in where do I get started, but now, how do I actually do this? Where, where do I go? And we're going to learn from Jesus as we've been learning the entire time. We are in Luke chapter 10, and we're going to be in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 1 through verse 10 together. So if you'll turn in your Bibles there, that's going to be our main text for today. And it says this, it says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, says Jesus appointed 72 of his disciples, and he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So Jesus is now sending out his disciples to go and make more disciples. Verse 2, he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I want to pause there for just a minute. I shared this in our second service. I haven't shared this in our first. In November, I had a, a dream, uh, and it was a spiritual dream. And, and in this dream, uh, a gentleman who's the head of our board of directors and I were on a plane together with a bunch of other Antioch pastors. We were on a plane, and we were suited up in military gear, and we were getting ready to parachute out of the plane down into combat. And he, he pulled us all together, and he said, hey, I, I need everybody to be aligned on this. In February, harvest is coming. There's a harvest coming in February. Mind, this is November. There's a harvest coming in February, and I need us all to be aligned so that we're ready for what God wants to do. I woke up. I was like, wow, that is amazing. I looked at our, our preaching calendar because we're going through Luke, and I was like, huh, that's interesting. We're actually at that verse, the harvest verse, this one that we just read, right here at the beginning of February. World Mandate, our, our missions conference, was at the beginning of February, all about the harvest and going out. And so I just want you to know, I think God is preparing us right now for what he wants to do. And I just have this feeling that we're going to be amazed at what God does through us this year in the name of Jesus. Okay, so it says the harvest is plentiful. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So Jesus' disciples are to go. Don't take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. We've gone through all that. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. We talked about that last week. If you ever wondered about that verse, go back and listen to the podcast. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. Verse 8. When, you're in, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there. Tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Next week, we're going to focus in on that last part about the warning. Like, what do we do with that? And if you read on in the passage, he talks about the destruction that's going to come to these towns. And I don't know if you ever had this question, but how do you reconcile a God of love with a God who says things like, these cities are going to be destroyed. Like, how do, you, how do you make those two things 
fit together. If you ever had that question, we're going to be looking at that next week. So come ready next week. Amazing time. We're going to learn. I think you're going to leave loving Jesus more after you see the beauty of what he's saying here. But today we're talking about how to disciple someone because Jesus is equipping his disciples to go out and make disciples. And what I want to point out to you here is we see these disciples here in Luke chapter 10. They are the same people that he's been working with now for several chapters along the way. He's been developing them. He's been investing in them, and now they're stepping into this phase of the journey. And he's sending them out with a message, the message that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, has come near you. And that's really important because that's our starting point in discipling someone. That's our starting point in how do we invest in someone, how do we mentor someone. We start with a destination. As you can see, we're going to go through the word disciple, and each letter is going to give us a key of what do we do next. If you are a parent and you are looking, well, how you said I'm a disciple maker of my kids, how do I disciple my kids? I want you to, man, this is for you today. If you're a leader in your workplace or in your school and you invest in other people as a part of your role, as a part of your contribution, you want to know how to develop people, take notes from Jesus. He's the master at this. If you're hungry to make disciples, this is where we start. We start with the destination. You see, many of us have heard that what Jesus was all about, it was kind of like a password keeper. Any of y'all have those on your computer or your phone? It's like an app that keeps all your passwords so when you show up to a site, you don't have to remember, oh gosh, what was that password that I made for this one? And you kind of have to, you know, you guys do that too, where you look back and you're trying to figure it out. And so you have this, like, you can buy this device that's a password keeper that stores it all for you. So every time you show up, you've got the right password. You're logging into TurboTax to do your taxes. And it's like, I got the password. You get logged out of Facebook. You're trying to log back in. I've got the password, right? It stores all those passwords to let you in. Well, many of us have heard that Jesus is kind of like a password keeper, that what he came to do was to give everybody the secret password so that when they die, they could go into heaven because they knew the right password to say. Jesus, right? That's what many of us have, have been told. But I want you to know that's a dilution of the gospel. That's a minimization of the gospel. That's a watering down of what Jesus is talking about. We see over and over and over again Jesus making these kind of statements, talking about the destination that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, has come near you. Jesus came not to pass out passwords, but he's building a kingdom, a new way of life, a new set of values, a new leader, a new culture, new life, real life, as it's meant to be lived. Jesus is building a kingdom. He's more than just a password giver. He's talking about this new life, the life that you and I have dreamed for and longed for and wished that our world was that way and we get so upset because our world is not that way and Jesus is saying, no, I've come to set the world right. So he's always talking about this destination. The kingdom of God has come near and he taught his followers to pray. He said, I want you to pray, God, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom people. So you see in Luke 4, we read that earlier as we studied through Luke. I'll put it up for you today because I have several scriptures. Uh, normally we just have you look in your own Bible, but I want to put it up there just to save a little time. Uh, Jesus speaking, he said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. 
to other towns because that is why I was sent. The Father sent Jesus to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, that it has come near. That's so exciting. That was the destination that Jesus is talking about. And here, he's taking his disciples and he's telling them, I want you to go out and say that same destination. I want you to be kingdom people. I want you to talk about the kingdom. I want you to pray in the kingdom. I want you to bring the kingdom. Wherever you go, there the kingdom is. And I want you to let people know this message needs to get out. That's so exciting. So if we're trying to make disciples, man, we need to be talking about the destination. We need to paint a picture of where things are going, of what God is doing, right? That kind of destination or vision is not what you see right now. That's sight. Vision is what you see when your eyes are closed and it's not there yet, but you see it and it's real. And that's what we're to be. We're to be destination people. From there, Jesus didn't just stop with talking about this destination, he gave an invitation. Over and over and over again, he's painting this picture of what God is doing, and then he's inviting people to be a part. He's inviting people in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. Jesus said, come and follow me. I'm inviting you to be a part. And he doesn't just say, hey, just come on, whoever wants to. He sees potential in people, and he invites them And he sees potential and he calls out the gold in someone. And he said this, I will send you out to fish for people. So if you're like just a fisherman, that's what some of his disciples were, and you're used to fishing for literal fish, and then this amazing leader comes along and says, hey, I want you to follow me. I want you on my team. I'm picking you. And I actually see something in you that I'm going to develop you, and you're going to be one that leads others. Think about it. When someone has seen the gold in you, how does that make you feel? You just light up. You're like, wow, uh, okay, right? And as Jesus is talking about the destination, he's giving invitations with this, I see in you. I see potential in you. I see calling in you. I see gifting in you. And I want to invite you to come and follow me. And let me train you, and I want to use you in my kingdom. I want to use you as a leader. I want to use you as an influencer. This is the life you were made for. Man, that's exciting. It's giving out invitations. S, sign up. This is really important. This is so amazing. Do you know Jesus doesn't force anyone to be his disciples? He doesn't have an arm wrestling contest where he says, hey, we're going to arm wrestle. If I win, you follow me. No. He invites people, and they have a choice to respond. They have a choice to sign up. What's amazing is the most unlikely people that sign up. It's not who you or I would have guessed would have been the easy yes. It's unexpected people, but they sign up nonetheless. They say, I'm in. And this is so important because Jesus initiates with all of us and gives us that invitation. And we all have a choice to sign up and to respond. And this, what I'm about to tell you, will set you free in your walk with God. My discipleship to Jesus is my responsibility. Your discipleship to Jesus is your responsibility. My discipleship to Jesus is my responsibility. Your discipleship to Jesus is your responsibility. Why is that important? Because sometimes we can get it a little twisted and we can say, well... 
I would do this, but no one's discipling me. No one, I don't have a discipler. I don't have someone that's doing this to me, so I'm kind of stuck. And then we kind of get bitter. We get disillusioned. We get jaded. We get disappointed. We get all these things, and we get stuck in passive mode. But if you and I realize, no, 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 Jesus has initiated with all of us, and he's invited all of us in, and I have a responsibility, if I want to be his disciple, that I can just step into being his disciple, and my growth is largely due to my response, that's freeing. That will set you free. You'll think about that one on the ride home or in a year. You remember, man, what did that bald pastor say? I met a guy at, a, at Whole Foods this week who said, hey, aren't you the pastor of, of that, that, that Antioch church? I said, yeah. He said, I know you as the pastor who wears Air Force Ones, because that's what I normally wear. My wife told me I need to wear nicer shoes lately. Right, but you remember that pastor that wears Air Force Ones, he said, my discipleship is my responsibility. Oh, man, I don't need to blame anyone else. I don't need to wait on anyone else. I can just go for Jesus. That's exciting. So we're going to be giving an invitation, and some people are going to say no. We read about people saying no here, and that's unfortunate, but it's just part of life, right? It just is part of life. You know if you're going to start dating some people, right? Some are going to say no. You know if you're going to apply for jobs, some are going to say no. That's just part of life, but some are going to say yes. Some are going to sign up, which leads us to our next letter, C. Jesus does something very interesting each time. He is uh, having someone sign up to be a disciple. He takes them to a certain place. He takes them into community. Jesus brings disciples into community. This is, man, I love this. So when you, I got a little illustration for you. Here's you. Here's the Holy Spirit. When you receive Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. That's exciting. The Holy Spirit is in you. If you're a believer in Jesus here today, the Holy Spirit is in you. The Spirit of God is living you. The same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is at work in you. Watch out, devil. Watch out, world. The Spirit of God is in you. But the Bible also tells us that when we receive Jesus, we are placed in Christ. So we, 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 we get in Jesus or in Christ. Now, what's interesting when we're in Christ is that we find out there's a whole lot of other people in Christ as well. It's not just me and Jesus, but it's we and Jesus. And, and these people, they're different. You know, they don't actually look like me or think like me. They're not the same as me. Uh, they, don't, they don't like the, the same TV shows or eat at the same place or vote the same way or whatever it is. Uh, but, but we're all in Christ together. And Jesus is always bringing his disciples into community, right? And here's why. There is more to Jesus than I can know on my own. There's more to Jesus than you can know on your own. So just like all of us have a different perspective in this room, all of us have different life experiences. All of us have different things that we've been through and different ways that we've seen Jesus at work in our lives. We learn from one another. And there's so many one another commandments in the New Testament that Jesus gives to his disciples. Encourage one another. Meet together with one another. Share with one another. Be thankful. All these things with one another's, you have to have some others to do it with. And probably if you're in this room, if you're in this church, you grew up in the West, 
My guess is you grew up in, in America or somewhere or, uh, you know, nearby, or you've been here for a little bit, and we're a very individualistic culture. Like we think as individuals, and there's some great beauty and strength in that. But you have to remember, Jesus is thinks from a very different lens than we do, and he's bringing us into community. Luke chapter 8, uh, it says this. He said, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. There's that phrase again. And look at this. The 12 were with him. And some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. We studied those women uh, earlier last year. Amazing women of God. And there's this community of men and women brought together as disciples following Jesus together. So here's another, uh, just if you grew up in church or you have church experience and we talk about discipleship, my guess is what you start thinking about is sitting one-on-one in a coffee shop with someone for a weekly meeting where they ask you questions about your life, right? I am intentionally trying to reframe your picture of discipleship in this series. I'm intentionally trying to widen your picture of discipleship and make it look a little bit more like Jesus. It's a blow away to me when we read through the gospels. Uh, Jesus cares for every single person. He's always talking about, I'm, just, I'm leaving the 99 for the one. Right? He's very personally engaged. And yet, the gospels don't record very many conversations. This Jesus, one-on-one with someone, let alone one-on-one in a coffee shop with someone for a weekly meeting. They're not there. Wonder why. Wonder why. It's amazing to think about. I bet 95% of the interactions we see about Jesus is Jesus relating to his disciples in community. So if we want to be disciples like Jesus, we want to make disciples like Jesus, we want to probably lean a little bit more toward pulling people into community. I can't tell you how many people I've seen come to the Lord that stick are the ones that get into Christian community. And the ones that don't progress in the Lord or fall away are the ones that don't. Community is powerful. And so here's a little illustration to help us all with this. I'm not saying the one-on-one meeting. Hopefully I don't break my iPad this morning. Uh, The one-on-one meeting is not important. But I'm meaning that's like a tool. Like WD-40. WD-40 is very good. It's very helpful. My car door squeaks And if you spray this on it, it'll stop squeaking. It's an awesome tool. But it's not the tool for every job, right? It's a tool for some jobs. It's a good tool. But there's all these other tools in Donnie's toolbox right here. You guys know I don't know much about tools, so let's just just be honest here. So we've got these these tools. I don't even know what they are, but you get the idea. Oh, there's some, some drill bits. Okay. You get the idea. There's lots of tools. And when we're making disciples, I just want to expand your view from just one thing to think about the toolbox, right? That when they come together, there's all these different ways of discipleship. We talked last week about there's, there's peer discipleship where you're like running buddies and you're spurring one another on. And it's amazing with technology these days. I have a guy that we are running buddies And the main way we communicate is an app called Marco Polo. And we can just leave each other video messages. And it's awesome, right? There's so many different ways. There's older brother, younger brother, older sister, younger sister in the Lord. There's parent, child. There's all these different ways of making disciples, right? So let's just expand our view to Jesus' view 
on discipleship. So that's community. The next thing that happens in making disciples, I, information and incarnation. And these are very important. We're passing on information. Jesus said in the Great Commission, he said, I want you to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's information. And the scriptures are our source for the information that we're trying to impart to someone else, right? It's the word of God. It's not Zach. It's not you. We're pointing people to Jesus and his word. That's the information. Yet Jesus did more than just teach and talk about the kingdom. He lived it. He incarnated the kingdom. Incarnate simply means, it's a fancy word meaning to embody something. So when Jesus is talking about prayer, he's not just teaching about prayer. He's living a lifestyle of prayer. When he's talking about giving to the poor, he's not just talking about giving. He's living a lifestyle of generosity toward the poor, right? He's incarnating what we need to see. There's an old song about Jesus that said he gave love a face and he gave love a name. And we needed to see that. John chapter one says this, the word being Jesus became flesh, that's the incarnation, and made us dwelling amongst us. And we have seen his glory. So it wasn't just we heard his glory, we saw his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So big deal here as we're investing in people is we wanna pass on information, but we need to be living it ourselves. We need to be incarnating it. We need to be, oh, I see the way this person did this. Not just talked about this, but did this because we all learn so much by watching others. That's why YouTube is so popular. And every time you need to learn something, just type in YouTube so you can see someone else doing it. We need to be that in the spiritual sense. We need to be YouTube channels that people can learn by watching us do and live the kingdom. My kids are, are very aware of the difference between what dad says and if there's a gap between what get, dad does. You guys need to come here. Oh, well, I know I've got about three more times and then dad's vein is going to pop out. And then that's when I actually need to come. You know, you understand, right? We, we pick up on those things. And we want to live the kingdom in such a way that it's like, man, of course we're going to fall short and no one's going to be perfect, Right? But where there's like integrity and authenticity of being like, man, I, I see that in your life. You may not be perfect at it, but I see the trajectory of where you're going. We're giving information and incarnation. All right, you guys with me? We got three letters left. And these three letters are the keys to putting the whole thing together. So P, patient apprenticing. Patient apprenticing. You like where I pulled the P from there? Patient apprenticing. So... As you read through the Gospels, remember, we're reading in Luke 10. Jesus calls his disciples in Luke 5. And for a number of chapters, they're watching Jesus. And it says everywhere that Jesus went to go minister, they were along with him and they were watching him. He's the one doing all of the stuff. And then in Luke 8, there's this transition where he begins to teach his disciples. Parable of the sower. He begins to train them. He begins to include them. And now he's sending them out to do it on their own, right? So there's this development process that's going on. And I uh, was a, a math teacher for a number of years, and I can't tell you how many times I would come up with the best lesson plan. 
I would be like, man, these kids, they're going to be Albert Einstein, Bill Gates, and Stephen Hawking before this class is over. I don't care if they don't know how to multiply right now. We're going to get there, right? I had the best lesson. And I would use the best illustrations, and I'd draw it on the board, and I'd make jokes, and we'd do all this stuff. And then I'd give them their homework, and i think, this is going to be a piece of cake for them. And they're all like, no, no idea, right? How many of you have ever been in a class where the professor or the teacher is talking, and you're like, I got nothing here, right? If you've ever been a teacher, and you've been teaching, and you're like, I don't even know, or a parent, and you're like, how did you guys not get this? Like, there just is a gap sometimes, right? That's because so often what we give is we give some information and then we expect people to know how to do it. Jesus does it in a very different way. He apprentices people. He says, here, I'm going to do this and then I want you, let's, let's work on this one together. And then I'm going to send you out and, and watch you on your own. You're going to come back and you're going to tell me about how to do it. So I learned as a math teacher, what I need to do is I'll teach it, but then I need to break up in groups and let the kids work it out. And then I can go around and help them, but they would learn so much more from one another because they're working on it together. Then they could go home and they could do it on their own. And so we want to be patient in apprenticing. If you want your kids to learn how to do the dishes, don't just say, go do the dishes. And now I'm frustrated with you because you didn't do the dishes the way that I told you. you know? And if you're a perfectionist, they definitely didn't do the dishes the way you told them. <laughs> right? But you, you take them along with you. And you watch and you give feedback. The same is true in spiritual training as well. We want to apprentice people. L, Jesus then leads them out to find disciples. And this is amazing to me that Jesus is, he's so wise. Like I would think you're Jesus, you can just handle it. Like take the whole world. And he's thinking, no, I'm gonna teach these few how to go out and make disciples. And you realize the amount of people that Jesus impacted after his death was far greater than the number of people he impacted before his death. And it's because here he's training and teaching and investing. He's teaching other people how to pass it on. I want to tell you a story about a man named Dawson Trotman. I doubt you know who he is. I think we have a picture of him that we can put up. Uh, You'll be familiar with the guy on the right, It's a younger Billy Graham, right? But the guy on the left, you probably don't know who that is. His name is Dawson Trotman. He was born in the early 1900s, became a believer, got really excited about Jesus, got involved with this group that was real into uh, reaching out to people and sharing the gospel, and was just on fire. And he describes this scene one day where he's driving down the road. He sees a hitchhiker with his his thumb up. He says, I'm going to Give this guy a ride. The guy gets in the car, and they're driving, and the guy's just, he is talking about all the stuff. Trotman's like, I knew he wasn't a believer just based on the nature of all the stuff he was saying. So he handed him a gospel track, an explanation about Jesus. And when he did that, the, the hitchhiker looked at him and said, don't, don't I know you? And Dawson was like, I don't know. Well, they pieced together that a year before, Dawson had given that same hitchhiker a ride, and had given him a track, and the guy had received Jesus, right? And here he was a year later, and nothing had, had grown. Nothing had progressed. And Trotman, this was like a revelatory, eye-opening experience for him. He's like, hmm, I need to focus not just on helping people find Jesus. I need to focus on helping people follow Jesus. So he started spending his time with believers and helping them grow in their faith. And he, he began to invest. He began to disciple a guy in the Navy, and began to teach him about God's word and teach him about God's ways. 
And the guy was on a ship. This is around World War II time. And he found some other sailors on the ship that were interested in Jesus. And so he came back to Dawson and he said, hey, I found these guys on my ship. They want to know the same stuff you're teaching me. Can I bring them next time? And you know what Dawson said? I would have said, sure, that's going to make me feel great. A lot of people come and listen to me. You know what he said? He said, no, 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 I want you to go and pass on just what I've taught you. You can do that. And so he taught this guy how to look for disciples. And that's cool. That's a cool story. Get this. That guy found a few, who found a few, who found a few, so on and so forth, that by the end of World War II, there were 1,000, 1,000 ships in the Navy with men on the ship doing discipleship that traced their roots back to Dawson. 1,000 different ships. That's amazing. There were 6,000 ships in the U.S. Navy in World War II. 1,000 of them had people that were in this kind of discipleship tree by the end of World War II. It was so powerful and so transformational in the lives of the sailors that the FBI undertook an investigation to figure out were these people a part of some secret cult because they were not doing what everyone else on naval ships were doing. And they tried to piece it all together, but they said it was so complex because so many people, there were so many links in the chain, so to speak, that it took them forever to trace their way back to this simple guy, Dawson Trotman, who'd invested in a few people and was just a normal guy teaching people to love Jesus and follow him. Isn't that amazing? That's unbelievable. Which leads me to my last uh, illustration here. I've got an apple. Question for you. Uh, how many apples do I have in my hand? Ah, it's a trick question. There you go. So I do have one apple, right? I do have one apple. That represents you or me. But within this apple, we all know that there are six or eight seeds that are the seedbed for not just one apple, but for an apple tree multiplication. Not just addition, multiplication. And then when those trees grow up and make apples... Those apples have seeds in them. So at one hand, there's, there's infinite number of apples in my hand. And on the other hand, there's one apple. Isn't that amazing? It's really cool to think about. Well, in the same way, you, as someone who has the Holy Spirit living in you, right? Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. Here we go. And you're in Christ. Christ is in the Father. In, in some ways, it's just you and me, you know, and we're an individual apple. But in some ways, there's the seeds for who knows how many people to be transformed through us taking these simple things, just like Jesus did with his disciples, just like his disciples did with a few on and on and on, men and women over the years, rich, poor, young, old, educated, uneducated, slave-free, investing their lives in making disciples. And Jesus talked about that his gospel would make its way to the ends of the earth. That's the E, the ends of the earth. He called his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. So they say there were 204 towns uh, in Israel in Jesus' day. And they believe he visited all of them on his travels. 
But now he's telling his disciples, no, no, we're not just thinking about these 204 towns. I'm talking about all nations. Well, how in the world is that going to happen? It's going to happen as disciples make disciples who make disciples. And apples beget apple trees, beget apples that beget apple trees, so on and so forth, until the earth looks like heaven, where the kingdom of Jesus is on earth as it is in heaven. What a beautiful picture. So each week I've given you a challenge um, as we have been learning. First week was to pray about God, who would you have me invest in? Second week was, okay, let's think through these filters. This week, I want to challenge you to take these words and take what you're learning today and begin to ask the Lord, how has he called you to pass those on? If you're a teacher in a school, maybe it's with a, a, a teacher, maybe it's with a student, maybe it's with the janitor, I don't know. If you're a parent, maybe it's with your kids or maybe there's a neighbor or maybe there's someone else in your world. If you are a student, might be the person you're sitting next to tomorrow. Who knows? If you're in a fraternity, I believe God's placed you in that fraternity for a purpose that's bigger than you. If you're in an office, a marketplace job, I believe God has placed you in there for a purpose bigger than yourself. And there are people all around that Jesus wants us to see the harvest is plentiful. And he's sending us out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, invite you guys to stand and we're gonna close by taking communion together. And as we uh, prepare to take communion, I wanna say if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, like this is new to me, maybe you've been in church, but when we start talking about a relationship, a living relationship with Jesus, where, where he's the, the driver in the driver's seat, he's the king, he's the leader, you're like, ah, that, that's not what I, what I have. You might have religion, you might have some rules, you might have some ideas, but not a relationship with Jesus. I just feel led. I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus today. I want to give you an opportunity to say, you know what, I've been living my own life on my own terms, but I need this new life that Jesus is talking about, and I want to follow him. In there, Jesus has forgiveness of sin for you, a new start, a new life, a new way of living, and a new purpose. So I want to encourage you, if that's you today, I'm going to, give you, I'm going to ask everyone just to bow your head for a moment, close your eyes. I'll wait for you. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes, if that's you or you have maybe been away from the Lord for a long time and you're trying to come back, you, you fell off the train somewhere, but you're trying to make your way back, I want you to know your father doesn't just wait for you to get here. He's running down the road, arms wide open for you. And so if that's you, if either of those fit, I'd like to ask you to just raise your hand and I want to pray with you for a moment. If everyone else can keep their eyes closed just so it's a bit of a private moment. If that's you, if you'd raise your hand. awesome. I'm seeing hands go up around the room. Uh, if you would just pray with me, and if you're a believer, if you'd say this prayer along with me, it's, it's one for believers and non-believers. Jesus, I need you. I want you to lead me. I need your forgiveness, and I want your new life. Fill me up, Holy Spirit, and lead me into what you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen.